Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. America does need Jesus, and our world needs Jesus. He is the hope of the world. And so we started a series last weekend called Jesus Over Everything. Jesus Over Everything. We're studying the book of Colossians. We chose Colossians because Colossians, more than any other book in the Bible, focuses on the majesty and the supremacy and the, the power, the sovereignty, the preeminence of Christ. One of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to the church in Colossae was to combat an early heresy that was invading the church at that time called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught essentially that you could achieve spiritual fullness apart from Christ, that Christ was not even fully God, that he was some sort of kind of angelic kind of being, and therefore he was lacking in the authority and the ability to meet all of your needs. And so Paul demolishes this lie that by proving that Jesus is absolutely more than sufficient to meet all of your needs because he's the most powerful being in all of the universe. He is God in the flesh. He is over everything. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. So we looked at Colossians chapter one last week. Today we're gonna look at Colossians chapter two. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible uh, with me if you would. I'll, I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation again. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can come up to the front after service. In fact, I'd like to ask you one more time to stand to your feet. I know that you've been uh, standing up, sitting down. We stood to honor our flag. We stood to honor our men who have served. And how much more should we stand to honor the reading of the Word of God? So I'm gonna read, in fact, let me pray first. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you all the honor, all the glory. Thankful to be citizens of the United States, but first and foremost, we're citizens of your kingdom. Lord, speak to us through the power and the truth of your word. Give us deeper, just revelation. Just give us fresh understanding to, to be thankful for what you've accomplished for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Listen, as I read the word, you can say amen, all right? But I'm going to read this whole chapter. Colossians chapter two. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness." Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God 
in a human body. That's a good place to say amen. amen. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? <laughs> Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Somebody say amen. amen. Before you're seated, say, I hope you don't preach on because I got a barbecue to go to. Go ahead, tell somebody. And then you can be seated. <laughs> I want to focus on verses 13 to 15, but I want to briefly highlight a few things that the Holy Spirit says through Paul leading up to those verses, starting in verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Friends, we live in a world that is full of this. <laughs> Let me highlight a few man-made, high-sounding, nonsense, philosophical perspectives that you may or may not be aware of, but you'll probably see. Number one is hedonism, which says, if it feels right, do it. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Friends, this empty philosophy is incredibly selfish and unbelievably short-sighted and absolutely contrary to how Jesus calls us to live. Jesus said in Matthew 16, what will it profit a man if he gains a whole world? Well, fame, success, but forfeits his soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man is gonna come in the glory and majesty of his father with his angels, and then he will repay each one in accordance with what he has done. Here's another man-made philosophy, it's often called relativism. Relativism, I hate this philosophy. And when I think about it, I, I picture some totally deceived, confused, lost person just like frolicking through a field. 
Because relativism says all paths lead to truth. Just like frolic, this is how you frolic. Just spinning, frolicking. All paths lead to truth. Live your own truth. Live your own truth. You do you, boo. There's no absolute truth. All truth is relative to the situation. Friends, that is so stupid, it's laughable. Truth by its very essence is narrow. Last time I checked, two plus two is still four. Even if you use common core math and you take 83 steps to solve that problem, it's still four. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. He didn't say, I am a truth. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another man-made philosophy, high-sounding nonsense, sounds good to the world, but it's foolishness, is secular humanism, which basically says, picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> because secular humanists say, we don't believe in the supernatural. We don't believe in miracles. We believe in science. <laughs> we don't need God. Christianity is a crutch for the mentally weak, the emotionally weak. Humanity is more than capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. Friends, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to realize in about 0.2 seconds just by examining your own jacked up life that that's not true or looking at the brokenness of our world that that's not true. Jesus said it like this in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In my opinion, so much of philosophy are prideful, intellectual academics that are so messed up in their own personal lives that they try to rationalize away the existence of God because they love evil better than they love the light. But that's just my opinion. Here's one more philosophy that invades the, ch the church. And on the surface, it sounds kind of good. It sounds maybe even right, but actually it's wrong. And it's called moral therapeutic deism, which basically embraces this idea. I believe in God, and I believe that God wants me to feel good and to be good. The problem with this, one of the problems with this philosophy is that Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And listen, when Christ comes into your life, he, he changes you. You do become gooder. You should become more like Jesus. I hope that you do. Otherwise, have you really met the risen Savior? Another problem, and, and I think the, the greater problem with this, is that the goal of following Jesus and knowing him is not to make you feel good. 
Does God want to bless you? Does he want you to be happy? It's not a trick question. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But when life gets tough, when you face challenges, when things don't go your way, when you go through a storm and you don't feel good, do you still love God? Will you still serve God? Will you still obey God? Will you still follow God? Will you still worship him? Because Jesus himself promised, he says, in this world you will have troubles. In fact, he says, you're going to be persecuted if you follow me. Some people might kill you for following me. But he says, have courage because I have overcome the world. So listen, friends, you serve God. He doesn't serve you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely, embrace my cross as your own, and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. And then Paul goes into verse 9 and 10, which reiterate the supremacy of Christ. And the message paraphrase says it like this. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, the fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Jesus over everything. And then Paul gets to verses 11 and 12 and he addresses circumcision and baptism. By the way, have you ever thought about this? If you were Abraham and God speaks to you and says, I want to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And then he tells you what the covenant is. And then he tells you how he's going to make the covenant. With circumcision. Can you imagine what was going through Abraham's mind, by the way? You're going to cut off what? Could you cut off, like, maybe my pinky or something else? Anyway, sorry, I thought that's funny to me, but. So when our son Cohen was born, one or two days after he's born, the, you know, they come to you and say, would you like us to have him circumcised? And we said, yes, we would. So when they took Cohen to get circumcised, I thought brilliantly in my own mind, I thought, you know, this is a really important moment in my young son's life for posterity. I need to record this. <laughs> you ever have an idea that seems like really profound at the time, and then a couple of years later, you look back on it, and you're, just scratch your head. <laughs> this is a true story. So they take Cohen into the room to get circumcised, and so I leave Jenny in her room, and I, I go over there, bring my camera, go into the doorway. There's like a doctor and two nurses performing the circumcision, I start filming. I wasn't there too long, like maybe less than 30 seconds probably, and one of, one of the nurses kind of looks over and gives me a funny look, and uh, like a few seconds later, they just all stop and they all look at me, and they say, uh, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? And I say, I'm filming my son's circumcision. I'd asked for permission first, by the way, and they said it was okay. And they said, uh, sir, who is your son? 
And I said, he's Cohen Reeve. And they said, sir, this is not your son. Your son is over there. <laughs> I quickly deleted that from my phone before I got arrested. And um, <laughs> before Christ, it's true. I'm just, if I'm lying, I'm dying, as Jeff Foxworthy says. Before, G before Christ, circumcision was a physical sign of God's covenant relationship with his peoples, obviously specifically males. After Christ came, Paul just mentioned that the physical sign of circumcision no longer mattered because what mattered is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Paul says that you receive spiritual circumcision because Christ cut away your sinful nature. And so what Paul talks about is he says the physical sign that's important now is water baptism. Because in water baptism, when you are immersed, when you are buried in water, you identify with Jesus' death. And also it is symbolic of dying to your own old way of living. And then when you come up out of the water, you identify with Jesus's resurrection and it symbolizes your new life in Christ. Listen, if you're a Jesus follower and you've never been water baptized, you ought to get baptized immediately. In fact, we're doing baptisms next weekend uh, because it opens you up to receive the fullness of everything that God wants to do in and through you. And then we get to this passage. As the old preacher says, that was all introduction. All right, I know you guys are getting nervous. I'll preach the, this part quickly. But verses 13 to 15, which address the victory of the cross. The title of my message is The Cross Accomplished Everything. Because in our own efforts, you and I could offer God nothing. But through the cross, Jesus accomplished everything. Here's three reasons the cross accomplished everything. Number one, are you ready? Yeah. Come on, 1130, are you ready? Yeah. All right, I'm going give to it, give it all I got in the next few minutes. Number one is reconciliation to God so we can live in relationship with him. Say reconciliation. reconciliation. Life is all about relationships. Loving God and loving people. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 22. And I like to think that life is also about loving tacos with people that you love, but that's just me. <laughs> Listen, you were created by God in his image and for his purpose. And we see this in the beginning in Genesis that we were created to walk in relationship with God. We were created to live in relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but that truth still astounds me and blows my mind. The eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, infinite creator of the universe, infinitely powerful, beyond what you, can, you, you will ever be able to comprehend even in eternity in heaven. He is infinitely personal. The Bible says in Psalms, what is man, God, that you are mindful of him? Why do you even think about us? And yet he wants a relationship with us. And because of sin that came into the garden through Adam and Eve, through their rebellion, their disobedience, their selfishness, because that's what sin is, it's selfishness. Our relationship with God was cut off. We were separated from him. The Bible says that we were once enemies. Paul says that we were once enemies with God. And, and friends, if your sin, if my sin is not dealt with in this life before we die, then when we die, we are eternally separated from him. And that's called hell. 
And so Jesus came to this earth fully man and fully God, all the fullness of God in a human body. Unbelievable. And so he died on the cross, and the cross became the bridge between you and God. And it is the only way. There are no other bridges. It is the only way. He reestablished our relationship with God through his own blood that he shed on the cross. That's what reconciliation is. And so all of God's judgment and the punishment for our sin was fully put on Christ. He became the perfect sacrifice. And it is our faith in his blood, our faith in what he accomplished at the cross, that now we are justified in God's eyes, meaning that we are made right before God. If you're on Instagram, come on, help me, young adults. If you're on Instagram, I don't know if that's for old people now or not. I'm still on Instagram. But if you're on Instagram, you know you can take a bad picture, but you could put a good filter on it, and then it's postable, right? So you choose one of the filters, Clarendon, Moon, Valencia. I don't know what they are. I just wrote those down in my notes. <laughs> and I've learned now being married that if I take a picture with my wife in it, and I'm gonna post it on social media. I need to get her approval first. Come on, ladies, right? I gotta get her, it's gotta, be, it's gotta have the right filter on it. Man, friends, if your life had a filter on it, if God put a filter on your life, it would be Christ's blood. So when, listen, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your brokenness. He doesn't see those, all those things that you don't want to tell nobody about. You're embarrassed and ashamed of. He doesn't see that anymore. He sees you now through the blood of his son. He sees you as Paul says in Colossians 1. He sees you as holy. He sees you as blameless. He sees you without a single fault. Somebody ought to say amen. That's good preaching. Billy Graham said the cross shows the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the measurable love of God. Sin was conquered on the cross, and Christ's death is the foundation of our hope, the promise of our triumph. And it's because of the cross that you and I can walk and live in relationship with Almighty God every single day. My grandma Pat loved the, the old hymn. I think it was her favorite hymn. She would just sing it sometimes. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. I know this is the young crowd. Anybody know it? And he tells me that I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. You know it, Miss Ingrid, huh? None other has ever known. Come on, give me a round of applause. This singing. What can't this pastor do? He can sing. He can rap. Wow. Some people have one talent, but some people have 10 talents. <laughs> my, dad, my dad had a plaque on his desk. It's so funny. I didn't understand it when I was a kid. When I got older, I thought, this is so funny. It says, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. <laughs> I'm just teasing to make you laugh. Number two is this. <laughs> Number two is redemption from the slavery of sin so we can live in God's freedom. Redemption from the slavery of sin so we can live in God's freedom. Most of us, hopefully young, you young adults are not there yet. I hope you don't get there. But most of us know what it's like to be in pretty severe financial debt. Most of us, if you know, we own a home, obviously we have a mortgage. Uh, we have car payments. Credit card debt is the worst. 
But man, if you've ever been in, in severe debt, you know it feels like bondage. Uh, Proverbs talks about, the Bible talks about that, that you're, a, you're a, uh, the borrower's servant to the lender. Feels like bondage. Imagine pretty soon, not too much longer, but an hour, two hours from now, you're at your 4th of July barbecue party and uh, you just start a conversation with somebody you never met before and start talking. Somehow, in the course of conversation, it comes up. You mentioned that you just bought a brand new house here in Southern California. Houses, house prices skyrocketing. You owe half a million dollars, 30-year loan, probably more than that if you're buying a new house. And this person you're talking to just stops dead in tracks, looks you straight in the eye and says, you know something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay off all of your mortgage right now. And not only that, if you have any other debt, I'll take care of that as well. Listen, I don't say this as a prophecy. Some of y'all are going to be at a party later on. You're going to, who's the rich looking person around here? I'm going to go, that guy, that, she looks rich over there. Let's go talk to her. She drove up in a Tesla. No, no, this is, it's an illustration to make the point of a debt that you feel like you could never repay back. 30-year mortgage, that feels like forever. Jesus did the exact same thing, friends, for you and I. A debt that we could never pay. Not in one year, not in 30 years, not in 30 million years could you and I ever repay the debt that our sin cost our sin. I, we don't hear preaching like this in, anymore. Maybe we don't realize it because we talk so much about the love of God. God is loving. He is love. But listen, friends, the other side of love is there is a wrath against sin because he is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. There is a justice side of God, and he hates what sin does to his sons and daughters, to his creation, because it steals and kills and destroys. And sin must be punishment, must, must be punished. And Jesus, on the cross, he paid the price for all of our debt, all of it, all of it. And not just mine and yours, but all of humanity's from the beginning of creation until he chooses to come back again, friends, all of it. And so he, 2000 years ago, the God man, God in the flesh hangs on that cross. I think physical pain beyond what, what any of us have probably ever experienced or could even imagine bleeding every part of his body on this cross, gasping for breath, trying to push himself up so he can get another breath. And not only was it the physical pain, but there was a, there was a spiritual pain unlike anything you could possibly imagine. And he quotes Psalm 22 at one point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, all of the wrath of God, all of the debt of sin, all of that was laid upon the son, the perfect, sinless, holy sacrifice. He took it all and he did it willingly for you and I and separated from the father for the first time, for first time ever, first and only time. And then in his final breaths, before he willingly yielded up his spirit, he cried out with a loud voice, the Bible says, with all the strength left in him, it is finished. The, the word in that in Greek is one word, tetelestai. And it means paid in full. Back then, if you were to go and purchase something, 
the, the person that you're buying from, they would say, Tetelestai, paid in full, paid in full. And Jesus cried out on the cross, paid in full. Friends, you owe nothing else. He paid it all. Why? For freedom. To break those chains of sin off of you and I so we could walk in freedom. Set you free. Break the chains of legalism off of your life. Some of you come from church backgrounds and you think, man, I have to do this and I have to do that. And, oh, you know, I'm not measuring up. I'm not sure if God loves me this week. I'm not sure maybe I lost my salvation. Friends, you don't have to worry about that. Paul talks about that. He says all of that was nailed to the cross. You can't add anything else. Where are you going and getting circumcised? That's not going to help you anything. <laughs> he says Jesus did all of that. So what? You could just receive God's love. You could just receive his grace. By the way, grace is never an excuse to do less. Grace is the power to do more. And if you think I can just go out and do whatever I want because he's going to forgive me, you don't understand grace. You don't, that's not, you're, you're, you're walking on dangerous, thin ice there, friends. When you really understand the grace and the love and the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, you know something? It compels you to want to serve him. It compels you to want to obey God. Here's, I don't want to disappoint him. He's so good. He's so kind. You were, we were set free, by the way, from fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. Listen, I know, that, I know that some of us struggle with those things, but there's a difference between struggling with something and being bound by it. And if you know the Lord, if you know the Lord, I am telling you the truth with everything in me. God can and will set you free from those things. It might be a struggle. It might be a battle. It might rear its ugly head every now and then, but it is not your inheritance. It is not your lot in life to be bound by depression. He wants to give you his peace and joy. And by the way, you've been freed from death. Death itself. Death is an enemy, but it is a defeated enemy. We have eternal life and heaven is our home. And the last thing is that you've been freed from the power of darkness, from the devil himself and all of the hellish demonic forces mounted against you, which leads me to the, my last thought is restoration to rulership under God. We can live in his power and authority. Say restoration. I'll wrap this up right now. Paul says in verse 15, verse 20, he says that Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love that, by the way. Because the enemy thought that he was shaming Jesus publicly on the cross. He had no idea that he was the one being shamed, completely stripped of all power and authority. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. I, I want you to try to do this real briefly. We'll preach on this another time. This is very important, I think, for you, hopefully, to understand and grasp. In the Garden of Eden, you go back and read this, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, not only was their relationship with God affected, but their rulership under God was forfeited. Because God had given them perfect dominion and authority and power over everything. And when they sinned, they, they forfeited that to the enemy. That was part of his plan was to deceive them. And so Satan at that moment, he became the prince of this world. Jesus calls him that in the Gospels. And he had a legal right to rule over all of humanity until the cross. 
And at the cross, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, there is a, there is a hellish attack, a hellish assault on, on your life, on your marriage, on your family, on your children, on your grandchildren, but Jesus came to stop it and he came to give you abundant and eternal life. Listen, Satan might be the prince of this world, but the king always overrules the prince. Come on. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And so now we share in the victory of the cross because Jesus restored our rulership under God. Jesus is the King of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he established in a powerful and profound way, he established and he opened up the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. John chapter three, he says, he says, when you're born again, you are birthed into the kingdom of God. When you're physically born, you're born into the kingdom of darkness that is controlled by Satan. When you are born again into Christ, you are born into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his rule and his reign in all of the universe. It is his life. It is his love. It is his light. It is his power, it is his, his authority, it is his peace, it is his joy invading human hearts, invading circumstances and situations. So listen, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wherever the king goes, the kingdom goes as well. And if Christ is in you, through the power and the presence of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, then wherever you go, the kingdom goes as well. And all the power and all the authority that Jesus had as the King of the kingdom, he said, now as my followers, now I give to you. You have the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom of God dwells within you, friends. What does that mean? That means that when hell comes against you, and you know there's some spiritual attack, or maybe somebody just made some bad decisions, or maybe it's just because we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. I don't try to figure out what percentage is what. I just know if something is broken and not going right, I have the power and the authority that Jesus has given me because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God to arrest that situation and to invite his life, his love, his power, his light to come in. Is anybody, is this making sense to anybody? So when your son or your daughter is sick, the doctor says, I'm sorry, they have leukemia. We'll do our best. If there's anything that's from hell, it's cancer. You have the power and the authority in the name of Jesus to speak and declare and stand in faith, healing over that son or that daughter in Jesus' name. Believe them to be healthy and restored. When somebody hurts you, offends you, wounds you deeply, the world would say, don't hurt them back. Get back at them. They don't deserve forgiveness. That's not what Jesus said. You have power and authority with God's help, and only he can do that, friends, to forgive them, to be a peacemaker, to bring reconciliation. When you feel overwhelmed by fear, you have the power and the authority to stand against it and invite God's peace to rule and reign in your mind and in your heart. 
like Paul writes in Philippians 4. When the demons of addiction try to take you into bondage, try to drag you back into that old habit, that dark habit that nobody knows about, you have power and authority to stand in faith, repent, turn from your sin, confess it to somebody that will help you and live in freedom. When, de when depression tries to come on you like, like that heavy weight, that heavy blanket starts to squeeze the light, all of the light out of your life, all the joy out of your life, you have power and authority to stand in faith on God's word and receive his hope and his joy. When one of your sons or daughters have just is completely lost, one of your grandkids totally lost in the world, prodigal, walked away, confused, doesn't know up from down. Friends, you have power and authority to pray them back into God's love. He's given you power and authority. The cross accomplished everything. Reconciliation, redemption, and restoration. Somebody ought to say amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.